cold open question to open this edition of the Just Basketball Show. Brendan Clean. This week, Caitlin Clark, might have heard of her, passed 3,000 career points. Little Wayne, that Little Wayne, yes, the little, only Little Wayne that we care about, Young Money, Amelie, the run of mixtapes, that's incredible, goes on Twitter and sends one, not just one, but two tweets congratulating her on 3K and called her a fucking dog dog. D with two Gs, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, not that's cool in itself, but I ask you this question, Brennan Clean. If, I, if you did something cool, you got a promotion at work, you know, got a pay raise, we get a bajillion downloads on this podcast, whatever it is, and you got to pick a celebrity, any celebrity to send you a really kind of, really just wild social media congratulations message, who, who do you want? Who would make your day in that case? This is going to feel like a callback to our last episode where I was donning an Uncut Gems t-shirt, but uh, it is not a, a bit or a, ge- a gag. I truly love Adam Sandler, and so it would be him. Um, there also, very timely, is a clip going around of him playing Lover with his daughter by Taylor Swift on the most recent tour. The biggest fanboy of anybody that he ever has come across, if you see Henry Winkler getting love for Barry or uh, Kathy Bates getting an Oscar nomination a few years ago. He posts the most sincere shit I've ever seen of any celebrity on his Instagram every time any of his friends and family do anything cool. And so I love him. I'm a big fan, but also it seems like it would be better than fucking dog dog um, if it was Adam Sandler and it would be like three paragraphs of a, of a huge love letter for the world to see. So that's my pick. I don't know. I kind of really like getting called dog dog by Lil Wayne. I feel like that's just how that's how Lil Wayne tweets, and it that's how he tweets. Yeah, about, like, no, it's it's endearing. I'm not taking anything away from Caitlin Clark, but it, my pick would be a little different. It's all right. I I I am I have two because I'm going to cheat here. Uh, number one, Paul Mescal, just like my sad boy Irish actor King. Just give me whatever that would be. I feel like it would just be really earnest. To your point. I just want something earnest and real. Okay. You're not going to care about him in like 20 years and that won't be cool, but I, but I love your answer anyway. Brendan, that's not true. Paul Meskel, like, look, okay. like I, own season, I own season tickets. After Sun? You kidding me? Sure. Yeah. All these strangers can't wait? That's my guy. That's just my guy. That's, Who's the Paul Meskel of 1992 and do you know who that is anymore? No, I was born in 1993, so no, I'm not that old. I may be bald, but I'm not that old. All right. What's your number two? My number two is in the music sense and it's just because i find everything he does to be very funny and like there's a there's my favorite twitter account is related to accidental bars of this man and that is action bronson no one gasses up his friends quite like action bronson and i just want action bronson as he's like doing his health stuff now like swinging a big metal mace around his head to be like my guy chris and just get amped i just want some bronson in my life i feel like i would just feel like a good positive energy coming out of action bronson that's the much better pick. Uh, let's talk NBA Cup. All right, coming up next, NBA Cup, Lakers, Pacers final. We're going to predict it. Oh, All right, here we are, Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. This is your twice-weekly podcast and show on YouTube covering things, NBA, WNBA, women's college of basketball, men's college of basketball when it pertains. This Sunday, we're going to have our show up right after the WNBA lottery. So we'll have that, and we'll have a recap up of the NBA Cup Final, which is a Saturday night tip, which I'm very much looking forward to. We're going to talk today also about specifically about Bucks Pacers, and then we're going to talk about Lakers, Pelicans, and then look ahead to the final. But got to tell you first about our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform with where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with code Just Basketball, and Thrive will match your first deposit up to two hundred and fifty dollars. Brandon, let's start with Bucks Pacers. Pacers have made it to the finals. Tyrese Halliburton. The star of this NBA Cup run, 
Again, another game of zero turnovers. Again, where he made big shots. He has just flat out arrived. This is a super duper star now. He is in elite category. There's a graphic going around of other guards who have posted, like, who have had double digit assists, zero turnover games, and it's some of the best guys to ever play the point guard position. This is just a dude. And this this tournament, I think that the storyline of this, that he, A, kind of carried this game for Indiana in a lot of ways, and B, he's just arrived now. And for him to get his name in these big buckets called by Mike Breen to beat Giannis in that moment, it, it always felt right. He's made this entire tournament. He's made, I mean, honestly, kind of the story of the first quarter of this NBA season, I think. And they couldn't guard him. They could not guard him. They tried every assortment of coverages. Their transition defense is uh, Swiss cheese. They, in Milwaukee, seemed to be realizing in real time what we all have known about them, which is that they have absolutely zero point of attack defenders. I'm not quite sure why Andre Jackson Jr. did not see the court. We'll talk about, I think the Bucks' offense and how it contributed to their defensive issues, in my opinion, Chris. But from Tyrese Halliburton's standpoint, I think to me, what, what was going through my mind last night watching this game is our conversations as we went team by team through our season previews. We debated a lot between Halliburton and some of these other young point guards as we got to the Thunder or the Pistons or the Hawks or the Cavs or the Hornets. And we, I feel like, constantly came back to comparing Halliburton to those guys. What's different? What makes him special? Why is he better? Why is his team in Indiana just soared since he got there and he seems independent from whoever his teammates are, able to just rise to a level that we saw on both Monday and Thursday nights now in this NBA Cup and probably on Saturday night, even if they aren't able to win it. And... It's a few things to me, but it is the control, I feel like. I feel like it's the control. I feel like it is the unpredictability. I feel like it is the creativity. The dude is an artist playing basketball, and I'm so glad that a national audience, literally, they had one national TV game, they earned themselves three more, is finally getting to see this guy and appreciate him and that he's doing these historic things that you mentioned, 15 assists, zero turnovers, double-digit assists, zero turnovers, all these records that he's compiling because he's absolutely at the top of that list. Like, There's no more doubting that Halliburton is the best young point guard in the league, one of the best offensive engines in the NBA, period, and that this team and him are not going away anytime soon. I have him. I agree. He's above Trey for me. He's above Lamelo. He's above Garland, who's had a really rough year so far. Fox has been amazing this year, and I would have him above Fox. Cade has been, I think, pretty disappointing. He's well above Cade. SGA is the one that I think is like, I think it depends on your flavor. And I think the momentum this year has been Hallie, but like Shea is. And it kind of depends. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. They're different players, right? It's like, I don't even know what to call Shea a lot of the time. Cause it's, it's like, he's just this one man scoring wrecking ball. It doesn't always feel like he's even playing point guard. Everybody on their team is kind of a point guard. So yeah, they're neck and neck. Probably. I think the Trey one is the interesting one. And I was thinking a lot about Trey last night. I made a TikTok for our feed and brought up Trey, and it kind of felt like I was just, why am I picking on Trey Young? But it's because Trey Young was thought to be, and the comps were thrown around often, and he's a little older, of Steve Nash, right? And what Tyrese Halliburton is what we thought Trey Young was going to be. Let me just, like, I'll say it that way. What Tyrese Halliburton is able to do with a live dribble is why he's impossible to defend. I was watching that step back three on the left wing over Brooke Lopez to win the game. And I was like, you know, people were making fun of his jumper. It's not that pretty. The way he creates space is like the opposite of when James Harden was at his peak, like breaking Wesley Johnson's ankles and all that stuff. It There's a lot that's beautiful about Tyrese Halperton's game, but, but his scoring is not it. And he doesn't get to the basket and dunk on your head like some guys will, or, you know, De'Aaron Fox's electric speed it's that 
you never know what he's going to do, right? And he, like, there was a pass in the second quarter that I was just watching back before we hit record where he goes to the basket and it's like an underhand scoop pass all the way to the other side of the court for an OB top and three. He can get to that step back. He was driving pretty aggressively in that first half, especially, um, and he can finish. And so it's that and the willingness to pass. I think he makes 72 passes per game, which is just crazy. And that you just, when you're watching him, you never have a clue what's going to happen next as a viewer, but also as a defender. And Trey was supposed to be that. Trey is often that, but a lot of the time his goal is to get to the free throw line. And and the way that Tyrese has full control over everything, you could throw Jokic in there, use the Nash comparison, even use a LeBron comparison. That level of high IQ brilliance is what sets him apart. And I think that's what we're watching. And then obviously the skill development along the way to be better as a scorer has helped. But I don't know what you do to stop this guy. I don't think Milwaukee did either. No, I don't think anybody does. I think we see that with how good Indiana's offense has been this year. And I, I think him and SGA, is, is it could come down to what you prefer. Do you prefer some of the improvisation of Halley and the creativity and the pace he wants to play at? Do you, or do you prefer some of the, a little more old school, frankly, methodical, mid-rangey energy? But they're both really big. They both use their size, I think, in really unique ways. I mean, Halliburton had a pass in this game, Brendan that if you watch in real time, it is exciting because Obi Toppin dunks. And that that is enough. But he has got this height at half court where he can see everything, and he's play, and he's got his head up at all times. And he puts it on a dot to Toppin. And it's just like a simple push-ahead pass. But because his, he's so tall and because he can see ahead and the pace he's comfortable playing at, which not everyone wants to play that fast or is good at operating at that speed, there's very few guys that can do it like that. It unlocks other things that just make other guy makes something out of nothing. You actually you have a note um, in our situation. Um, well, is it is this about was the is the play slower thing about the Bucks or is that about the Pacers? The Bucks. Okay, never mind. Just regard what I was going to say. The other thing about Halliburton, and we've hit on this a little. No, bit. the Indiana Pacers should not absolutely not play. Yeah. any slower. Yeah. But here's a good here's a good comparison to what you're talking about because. I think the height is the is the distinguishing thing because out of the list of guys we just put in there, the ones we've been talking about as we previewed the season, I actually think Garland plays the most similarly to Halliburton. The difference is that Darius Garland's like 6'1", and Tyrese Halliburton is 6'7". And so some of the stuff that they're able to do playing fast, the vision that he has, the way that he's able to read the defense, find teammates, make everybody better. It does just come down to how big he is. And and imagine if Steve Nash was that big, right? Uh, you know, imagine if even Trey Young was that big. I'm sure he would play the game a little bit differently. That's part of why LeBron and Jokic and even Luka Doncic and some of these other guys who are at that level as offensive creators are able to do it. It helps to be able to see over the defense. It's the same thing with Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray in the NFL. Like sometimes it's just about how high are your eyeballs? How high are your arms when you pass the ball? Like it is physics, uh, physical sometimes, but uh, I think Halliburton's combination of all of it and his ability to use all that stuff is is what makes him special. I mentioned scoring inside. He was, I'm counting the dots on the shot chart right now, seven, eight of nine inside the paint last night. That's not something you usually get from him, and, and that really stood out to me, too, to, to kind of complete the package and make him pretty damn near unguardable. Uh, we'll talk, I guess, as, as we finish out the show about how the Lakers try to stop him, but I, I, I don't want to run out of things to say about this guy, but it's just so routine at this point that it, it just, it's insane. He's unbelievable. Other One other name we should shout out on this team. He's going to come up later, so I think we can talk about him a little bit more deeper in the show. But Aaron Neesmith, number one, Indiana, whatever they've done to help develop him and whatever he's done for himself to develop after Boston just did not work for him is amazing. There is... There's something to be learned that maybe if it's the if it's the right situation, you can take a chance on a former lottery guy with the right intangibles and you figure it out and he blossoms. This guy was uber competitive in this game, uber physical in this game. 
he's been a, such a revelation for them. I, he was he was good last year, and Caitlin Cooper, when we had her on to preview the Pacers, really talked him up. But I, I've come away, Brennan, just so impressed with him. And you have some numbers here about how he guarded Giannis. For him to do that, and for the, the Pacers as a whole to have do just enough defensively to get this game under control, particularly after they got really romped on defense in the third quarter of this game, Awesome. Just this is just a team growing up and understanding what it takes to win right in front of us. And Neesmith is absolutely a big part of that. Yeah, Neesmith. I think he was actually fine in Boston. I, I think that you know they traded him in the Brogdon deal, so I, I think he was paid on an extension. At, I think he's making like seven million. I just think some guys take a little longer. He's twenty four and he's a little small for for how he plays. I mean, even guarding Giannis, he's giving up a lot of size. He's listed at six five. I think that it's just going to be a specific role on a specific team. And I think from a offensive standpoint, hey, go shoot catch and shoot threes off of feeds from Tyrese Halliburton's a pretty nice role. We heard from Woj that Tyrese is, you know, already broadcasting. Look how fun I am to play with. Like, come come do it with me here in Indiana. And Neesmith is benefiting there. But defensively, it's it's just about effort and, and strength and physicality. And I think he brought that in a, in a much-needed way. I mean, the thing is with Indiana's defense, right, is like literally one or two more stops can lower your defensive rating by a point or two, right? Like it, it, it really does come down to that when you're looking at the stats or anything else. When you're, you know, this game ended up being a nine point win for the Pacers, but it was pretty neck and neck throughout. The Bucks have scored 44 points in 47 possessions. This is across both games, including the regular season one. That was also pretty close. 44 points in 47 possessions when Neesmith guards Giannis. Giannis has just two assists and he has two turnovers in those possessions and he smith has only fouled him three times so Giannis is like eight of nine from the field and seven of eight from the free throw line he's scoring whenever he wants the first possession of the game that Neesmith checked Giannis, Giannis kind of wasn't ready for it missed a layup missed kind of like a bunny layup thing they get it right back to him and he dunks just smashes Neesmith. like you can't guard me but Again, it's just enough fight without fouling and physicality to make Giannis take a few more seconds off the shot clock, give the ball up and reset the post up, pass it out rather than trying to score. And you're again, you're just shaving points here and there. And that's the stuff we've been talking about with the Pacers defense all season. So I think they've found a a, a, a permanent rotation player in Aaron Neesmith. I think he should be playing every night for them. 100%. I mean, this is, he is kind of, to me, he is kind of filling the role that Benedict Matherin maybe quite hasn't grown into yet at this point. That That's kind of how I look at it to some degree. Matherin is someone I still really like. I like that he's getting run in these big minutes because I think it will be good for him to play in meaningful moments and play in big stages and kind of go through some of that. But I think it's good that they have someone that can actually kind of fill that role more readily right now. I think that does them a real solid to have someone like that and just have someone that no matter what comes next for the team, like he's, this is the kind of guy you can just keep. Like that's exactly the kind of guy your team can take on a bunch of different shapes. You can move in different directions, whatever it's going to look like that guy fits in basically every circumstance. It's the kind of like template of a player that teams give up like first round picks for to fill out needs in their rotation when they're making title pushes. Like that's the kind of guy you just have now. And that's, that's a real big boon for them. Let's hit on the Bucks a little bit before we go on to Lakers-Pelicans. Number one, Brendan, I just do love the world because of the Damian Lillard connections to Chris Haynes and the uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo connections to Chris Haynes that like we just get. like Eric Neem does a great job for the Athletic on a beat day-to-day, but we got, when there's like a big thing that someone clearly wanted out there, there's just two. There's just pipelines right to Chris Haynes. So we get this note from him that Bobby Bobby Portis called out people in the locker room, including head coach Adrian Griffin and a lot of the younger guys on the team, that they needed to be more that Griffin needed to be more aggressive, that the team needed to be more competitive. All of these different things that I think are very valid concerns to some degree. But it's just funny how fast we got it and like how dramatic it felt considering we kind of know the Bucks are a flawed team that are still winning lots of games right now. 
He specifically said that they need to be more organized with their offense down the stretch of games and that they need to win the rebounding battle. That seems to be what Portis said um, to Griffin and to the players. You know, just play more cohesive basketball, I think, is, you know, win, win on the margins, at least clean up and, and, and take care of business with the stuff that wins games a lot of the time, turnovers, rebounding, etc., and that Griffin needs to have a, a stronger role with play calling. And yeah, it's funny how quickly we got it, you know, whatever. I guess it probably means that one or both of Lillard and Giannis probably agreed uh, with the with the assertion from from Mr. Portis, judging from the how the leaks typically work. Although I think Portis has, has done some stuff with Chris Haynes in the past, but whatever. It doesn't I, I, really matter. I like, the, I like the I like that you called him Mr. Portis. You're just like you're you gave him I'm respectful. Money. Yeah, I'm respectful. Um, do you think he's right? I think he is mostly right. I think is some of this about him only playing 18 minutes? Maybe. Is, I mean, I don't think it is. How much does he normally play? 18 minutes? I guess it says a near season low. I know that says that in the article, but like, it's not like he's a starter. No, but I, I feel like when you're on the championship team, you probably feel like, hey, just put me out there and figure it out. You know, even if the three big stuff in Brooklyn. Brook has been amazing as of late. So I think kind of... I understand it. I think he's right, but it's also like I understand sometimes, even if I I think there's some limits to it, when it's like, hey, we have Damian Lillard and Giannis, and particularly Damian Lillard, one of the best clutch operators we have in the league over the last like decade. Maybe you just kind of let him figure stuff out. Like I kind of understand that impulse. It has worked. There's clearly limits on it. There's clearly structural problems with it. Uh, so maybe you do need to be a little more creative and add some things in, but I also just kind of understand how you get there. It just it just feels like part of this to me, Brennan, comes down to the fact that Adrian Griffin as a head coach is still just very much learning on the job. And this is all the, the under the guise of someone who hasn't gone through this before. And that, that probably adds to everything that is going on here. So you're not, you don't worry about their offense. I mean, I do worry about the offense, but it's also just like has exploded. And it's getting like the I think the Dame pick and roll stuff is getting better. I think they're gonna just by the talent. I think ultimately will figure it out at some point. I mean they're fourth in offense in the league right now. They're fourth over the last two weeks. We're at one twenty one point five. They're like six points above league, league average over the last two weeks. Like I feel like that like the numbers tell you one thing. The eye test tells you something a little bit different. So I'm not overly worried, but. It's not as seamless as I think you might like. It's not as seamless and clean as you might have hoped considering the talent. Yeah, I think the Bucks are going to win like 55 games and we're not going to understand how. Like, I, th- I think that this team is very disorganized. The rebounding stuff is absolutely an issue. They are 26th in offensive rebounding themselves, which was always a staple for Bud. And middle of the pack in terms of allowing offensive rebounds on the other end. That is obviously something that that Portis would help. Bobby Portis is absolutely the guy who looks most out of sorts on both ends. And I think it might seem silly to focus on a guy who's the sixth sixth man, but I think he's probably the fourth or fifth best player on this team. And I think offensively, he was a staple because he could attack mismatches. He would stand in the dunker spot, get offensive rebounds, be an outlet on a lot of the Giannis isos. And defensively, whatever, we know their defense is kind of a mess. I think the personnel's a problem. I, I kind of need to see the roster come together before I can judge that too harshly. But focusing on Portis, focusing on what he used to do for the offense that he's no longer able to do, that gets me to what I think is the Bucks' biggest issue on the offensive end of the floor, which is I actually think that they're playing too fast. That was... As I was trying to chew it over, and I wonder what you think of this, because we haven't really talked about this angle of it before. Last season, they were 12th in offensive seconds per possession. This year, they're 9th. They are very clearly looking to run more often. We know Giannis is a, a wrecking ball downhill. I don't. I would never advocate for them to not do that when he has the space to do it. But what I looked at, Chris, is... When, when Middleton is on the court, 
mm-hmm. this season, they run off of live rebounds like 3% less of the time. And that's their starting lineup. You know, obviously his minutes have been a big story. He can't play a lot. He hasn't always been super involved. But that tells me that when their best unit is out there with the best players to start in close games, they have tried to play slower. And his presence has made it easier for them to do that. And I just don't think that they have enough playmaking to play slow and more methodically and really orchestrate something in the half court when he's not out there. And so they maybe default to playing fast. Then they make mistakes and don't have a plan B. So maybe this gets solved as he plays more. But that seems to be the key to me. Slow things down a little bit, especially late in games. Involve Middleton. Get Dame off the ball at times just to start possessions, not just go have him space. But that's where I think that they could start to figure some of this out is just take a breath, run some stuff, Use the talent you have, create mismatches, maybe crash the offensive glass a little bit more once you are set and see if that stabilizes some things a little bit. What do you think? I think that's right. I, I think that's a world where it's going to put Dame in a comfort zone. It's going to allow Middleton to do what he does best. It puts everyone in that situation that the way, like, none of their three best players really want to play super fast. Brooke doesn't want to play super fast, right? Like, this team is built to be more methodical and more purposeful. I think there's obviously moments where you want to get Giannis out rolling as a freight train, but you have to be selective about it and intentional about it, and it, that's probably going to come from defensive stops and and all of that. I mean, they could probably use, they could use I think, like a good amount of, like a, just a little sprinkling of chaos energy on the break on top of everything I think you're, you're correct about there. So it's, it's, I think, finding the right like breaking up the pie chart, so to speak, in a way that is good. But they also just might not have the defense to fully catalyze transition buckets in the way you might want. Well, and it seems like that's what Adrian Griffin might be missing here. He wants them to play defense a style that creates turnovers, but the reality is Bud didn't play that way. They were 30th in creating turnovers last year, but they're only 26th this year. The personnel just isn't there to do that, and it seems like Griffin has capitulated on the defensive end. We're not going to try to swarm everybody, although, as I mentioned with Portis, I think they still try to play that way when he's in the game, and I don't think that's what he's best at. Just switch when Bobby Portis is in the game. He's good at that. So they're not creating turnovers, but then it seems like Griffin's messages still run, but it's like, well, when you're not actually creating advantageous transition opportunities for your offense then who really cares and I think that they just they gave into the Pacers tempo way too much and I think looking forward to the Lakers game the way the Lakers are going to be able to win is to take a couple seconds well probably like 0.2 seconds or whatever in the real average out of everything over the course of a game off of that Pacers tempo rather than just saying all right let's play fast because we're playing the Pacers like no that you you can't give into that and I think Milwaukee did that too much but it's also a bigger picture uh concern for them I think looking forward too so that would be what I want to see them do as Middleton gets more healthy and he played 30 minutes on on Thursday night so hopefully he's headed there should we move to pace should we move to uh Lakers Pelicans Brendan let's do it so um, there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, from Akron, Ohio. He's been in the league for two decades. His name's LeBron James. Seems like he's uh, still pretty good at basketball, Brendan. Seems like he's still dominant. Seems like he's still assertive. Still seems like he can do whatever he wants when he wants to. I mean, I, I Brendan, I got to tell you, this game is not competitive for the most part. The Lakers pulled away from it. It's a 44-point win for them. I kind of thought they were going to win based on the first bucket, which was him going at Herb Jones and getting an N1. And it's like, oh, that's what we're doing here? Okay, the Pelicans have absolutely zero shot because if LeBron's doing this, if LeBron's playing like that, with that aggression, with that focus, pretty darn near impossible to beat that guy still. It's really, really hard to do it. Unbelievable performance from him. Unbelievable push from him. Still one of the best players in the world. To me, the the greatest player that has ever existed. And I, I'm loving every little bit of him just going out there and saying, I want this. Whether it is whether it is for like the legacy reasons, which I'm sure it is, but also him giving quotes of like, I want $500,000 and playing into the fact that he is the cheapest human being that we know that exists. I just love all of this from LeBron. This is, this is, this is a delight to me as, as, as a big LeBron guy. 
as a big LeBron guy, does it surprise you that he wants it this bad? Like, did you go into the season thinking the Lakers are going to push hard for the NBA Cup? Because it makes sense now, but I wasn't clocking that. No, I wasn't. I, I thought this tournament, Brendan, from the beginning was really built more toward teams like Indiana, or I thought maybe Phoenix because Booker's a little bit younger, or the Kings, or the Cavs before they were kind of bad, or the Knicks, like a team that hasn't won a ton that would have more motivation to chase them, to get the experience, go through this, level up from it. LeBron is, like, he he's going to play in, like, three, four of these tournaments, like, at most. He doesn't need you this, know? right? He doesn't need this. And, like, he, I, I mean, it, I don't, I think listening to these people and taking them seriously is not the best thing. We are going to have people that say, like, oh, like, this doesn't, how he performed in this does not, like, really contribute to his legacy. And in a real way, I think that's stupid. I think it, it's going to, if especially. Really? You think it's going to? You think, like, when we're stacking up, like, his Hall of Fame accolades, the, the lower third graphic on NBA TV for the Hall of Fame ceremony in five years or 10 years or 30, whenever he decides to stop playing, is going to say, <laughs> Four-time NBA champion, leading scorer in the history of the NBA, 25 seasons played, and NBA Cup champion, 2023. I mean, I mean it's going to be like the fifth or sixth thing on the resume, but it's like going to be on there. And I think it's creating moments, creating more moments for him. I mean, this is, this is one of those runs where you see just still what he's capable of at this age and you still see what he's capable of of dominating games and being the best guy on the floor on the floor the best guy in his team which is i think a bigger's laker conversation we is part of a bigger's laker conversation to have at some point i think we're going to hit at a little bit today but i think if we're putting we're redo tears again at some point i think what the lakers are and what this specific team is around lebron and where he fits and how AD fits and all that, I think is a really interesting conversation and says something about the Lakers, but also about how good LeBron still is. It is just creating more moments for him. I mean, it, I'm looking at this final, Brendan, and like there's a, there's a very clear world where he goes out and has like a 50, 50, 10, and 8 game. And it's just like, all oh, right, this guy just took over the whole damn thing because he's just capable of doing that. And he's been awesome this whole year. This has been like a pretty damn good LeBron season. Like, all NBA caliber. Oh yeah. Let's LeBron's just dive into the numbers. Almost uh, the most shots at the rim as a proportion of his total since the first season, he was a Laker, which he is, is absurd, average, which is absurd. Yeah. Like he's shooting crazy. 77% at the basket, which would be a career high. If it continued, he's shooting 41% from three, which he hasn't done since 2013. And you're just seeing how that's opening everything up. You mentioned the Herb Jones and one that the, the LeBron played Mori ball against the Pelicans. Yeah. He just lived at the rim and was bombing from three. It's like he was James Harden out there, basically. And you just see how that opens up his game. Last year, he was 75% at the rim. It's not like he's a, you know any sort of walk over there, but a little bit worse. And he didn't get there as often. And he only shot 33% from deep. So you can feel disappointed or worried that the Lakers rely so much on LeBron still but when he's playing this well it's a fine recipe he the Pelicans just had no answer for anything that he wanted to do nothing didn't matter who they put on him didn't matter what schemes they tried didn't matter what was going on LeBron was just doing whatever he wanted and got wherever he wanted and is playing with, with like a, a, a spurt and of energy that is the Pelicans just didn't match. I mean, yeah. that to me, in a lot of ways, Brendan, this is the story of this game. The Lakers spearheaded by LeBron play with energy and focus. And we're like, we want to win this. We want to take care of business. We are going to handle any comebacks you might have for a little bit and, and hit back and be resilient and all of those things. And then the Pelicans said, Oh, don't worry. We actually don't have any of those. We're we, good. We have a nice, we have a, we have a club reservation at, uh, yeah. right after this game, we'd like to make sure we get our media done so we can like get to the Spearmint Rhino or, or get to the casino. Like after this, like we got somewhere to exactly. be. Like yeah. that there's was some, there's some women up uh, up in the suite. Yeah, we're we're yeah. busy tonight. We have yeah, we have like, uh, more important things going on. Yeah, they it sounded like they like get the 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 based on the I mean it, it, this is reductive and not totally fair, but it's like you see the Ingram Zion thing the other day when they start like laughing about the celebration. You ask LeBron that question, he's just like being like, I need to win first. Yeah, well, and the other thing about the 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 energy or like the effort standpoint is. 
that was a bad look for them now in hindsight for them to kind of giggle like that. But Zion was yeah. talking a big game before the whole knockout round started about how this is a perfect opportunity for him to come in and seize it. And the Pelicans are exactly the type of team that this was made for and they're going to show up and this and that. And I think the Kings win was was impressive. Zion didn't play well. He didn't really play well in this game either, so I don't know how much credit he can take for any of this, but this game was <laughs> the opposite of impressive. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about some structural things, though, separate from the effort, which wasn't great. The Pelicans' starting lineup is now minus 9.5 net rating, and the Lakers were just playing off of all their guys. Herb Jones, Jonas Valanciunas, even Ingram is not exactly some sort of lights-out, knockdown shooter. Zion doesn't even take them. Do you think there's an answer on this Pelicans roster, or is this one of the teams we should have an eye on when it comes to the trade market? Because they're getting expensive. They're not young anymore. There's pressure on everybody. They thought about blowing it up last offseason. They're good right now. I've been optimistic about them, but a performance like this is one that can be a wake-up call, I think. I, I think it's probably both answers i mean i think eventually i would want trey murphy to start for this team I would over who because people say that and it's like who are you benching yeah, let me let me let me just look at that. i need to like look at it in front of me but i i think considering the assets considering the amount of things they have and the salaries to play with like they should be a team that should look to make a trade i mean you could larry nance and some picks what could that get you you know you could if you wanted to get real weird okay cj mccollum like hello like could we move you and find a better guard like, do you go get a different kind of center? Like, I, you know, Miles Turner's probably certainly not an option at this point, considering what uh, no. <laughs> the Pacers are. But, like, is there a certain kind of center you could go out and get that's an upgrade over Valanciunas? Like, is there something you could do to upgrade this team and you have the assets to do it and still have not blow all your flexibility in one trade now? That would feel. Silly, okay, so right? two like, questions then. Two questions yeah. then. One. You got to pick which trade they should do. We know what the options are. And two, who's been? Who are you benching for Trey Murphy? I'm probably. You probably got to sit Herb. Like that's not totally fair to Herb, but and you're certainly like losing some defensive stuff there. But Trey Murphy's just a more advanced, more feared offensive player. Even if like Herb Jones has had his moments and has had some really nice shooting games this year. Trey Murphy at his peak is just giving you a much more expansive offensive game that opposing defenses fear. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's that's kind of the only answer. Certainly got to gear him up, but I think that's the answer. I mean, I, I guess what are you what are you thinking as far as a trade? I mean, like would OG be a name you you'd pursue? Would Levine yeah, I mean, I guess I pursue? I don't necessarily think we have to pick a a target, but just. You laid out all the options from the Pelican standpoint of, of what place that they would need to upgrade. That's more what I'm asking. Because I think the biggest issue for this team is that Larry Nance is never healthy and is maybe not quite as good as you need, uh, especially as a rebounder and defender. He's a good offensive small ball five. He's a good switch defender, but he's not your everyday answer. He's not Draymond Green, right? I mean, obviously, but he, he that's the big better. that's the big problem. Nance would make more sense if you had a different kind of center who was more of like your traditional dominate the paint kind of big. And Valanciunas has his is like he's fine, but defensively, I think you'd want someone a little more dominant, a little more expansive. Like if you had just like a Mitchell Robinson at center instead of Valanciunas, Nance probably makes a little bit more sense on this roster. Like that kind of switch would make some sense to me. As a four or as a backup five. Like as a backup five, or you could sneak him in as a four, depending on what what's going on on a given night. Well, like but they have Zion, and that's the that's the problem, yeah, right? That's is the problem. yeah. And I think the other thing to talk about from this game is the minutes in the second quarter when they went to Zion at the five, they looked like a junior high team in terms of yep. size. It looked like a bunch of five foot three kids playing against the <laughs> Lakers. Jackson Hayes is bullying everybody he's not even that great of a player maybe he had some sort of revenge in his mind about you know this matchup having come from new orleans but zion at the five is becoming ben simmons at the five it you can talk about it and have fun and imagine it in your head it is not an option it is not a realistic thing that you can ever play if you're going to win basketball games period unless zion gets way 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 better on defense than he ever has been in his life even 
even including Duke, he never even really played center. He's never been able to do it. It's not going to happen unless he gets better. And so we can stop talking about it. So if that's the case, then you have to approach it with that in mind. He's going to play the four. He's not going to help you defensively. He's not going to shoot threes. So what do you do from there? I think the, to me, the Valanciunas upgrade is the is the one that I look at. But every team wants a freaking center. Like, could they get Isaiah Hartenstein from the Knicks? Maybe, but I think everybody would like that. And the Knicks want to win games. There's just not a lot of upgrades on Valanchunas. Like, that. that is kind of the fringe center kind of like the, you know, what is it, the the Wandy Rodriguez line that, that Matthew Barry used to put for fantasy baseball? Like, it's like that. Who, who do you get that's actually going to be better? I don't know the answer, but to me, they, with the Zion at center stuff not working, Nance never being healthy, and the starting lineup being bad, it, it can't, you can't just keep slamming against the glass like a, you know, Bumblebee trying to get inside and hope that it works. Like, you got to do something else. So we'll see. I, I I think also a different kind like this is also hard to find and like Levine isn't the one I would really want, but I could see being like okay CJ you got us to a certain point you're a solid guy we like your leadership but talent wise age wise maybe you have to explore that but I don't think there's an obvious trade there either they would have one other name that isn't really available now that Brennan that might have been interesting to me for them just from like a spacing standpoint but this team's like the best team in the West record wise right now is Cap. I don't know if I totally love that from like a defensive standpoint, but talent play, the spacing would, I think, do them a lot of good. I would have looked at that if I were them, but that doesn't really seem like a thing. Yeah, if, like the- I mean, if they're not going to get a shooting center, then at the very least a playmaking center who can play defense, you know what I mean, yeah. is is the next best, next best so Mason thing. Plumlee, got it. Yeah, Mason. But I, like seriously, a player... Similar to Mason Plumley, would be what I'm targeting. At least as a balance or another option aside from Valanchunas. But I think this game to me was a real eye-opener for what's going to happen in New Orleans in the playoffs. And their front office, with all the pressure we talked about, has to has to be realistic about this. And, you know, nobody's getting younger or cheaper on this roster. Trey Murphy's extension is coming. CJ is what CJ is. The the young guys have have looked better together. They've actually played together, but do they fit? What does it look like? Like you got to answer those questions and you have to force something if it's not working. 100%. Um do do you want to should we move on to final predictions preview here? You're Lakers, the boss. Pacers. Let's do it. Well, all right, Lakers Pacers. I'm going to pull up odds as we get started here. But, Brendan, to me, I think this starts – there's there's one big question for both teams, and I think it's it's both about how both teams defend the most important play on the other team for the Pacers. No idea how they're really going to build a LeBron game plan. Uh, that's going to be a huge problem for them. On the flip side, I think the Lakers are going to have some real – Troubles finding a consistent path to defend Halliburton and play at the pace, and I think I think this game is going to come down to those two individual defensive battles, and then who wins the pace battle. The Pacers are going to want to be out in transition and get this going and wear the Lakers out and and have, give them problems when the Lakers want to play a little bit bigger. For the Lakers, best thing you can do is grind this game out a little bit. LeBron just eats up the Pacers, and we see where that goes. I will say one small thing about this that I do like. Is that LeBron has a long history with the Pacers, like as a as a team he's played against, and big obviously the Miami run, but one of his most tense playoff series was 2018 first round against Indiana. Like he had this is LeBron. LeBron has had now like multiple iterations against very different kinds of Pacers teams over very different stops of his career. So that that's just also kind of a cool little historical footnote. And the Carlisle history. And the Carlisle history, right? It's even it's a great shot in your part. So the fact that this is just layering in more LeBron lore is great for me betting odds lakers minus three and a half and the spread over under is set at 240.5 money line pacers plus 150 the lakers minus 185 the lakers are favorites i suspect this will feel like a lakers home game to some degree being in las vegas where, where, where does your brain go with this? What is it? The Pacers defending LeBron? Is it how the Lakers have been Halliburton? Is it the Pacers? Is it something else? What What is popping to you as you think about this game? 
the Lakers are middle of the pack in transition defense. I think LeBron has exerted a little bit more defensive effort. That's been part of the other thing he's done to try to win these games. There was that cool clip that went viral of him and AD talking about their defensive strategy um, the other night, which was which was fun to watch. So I think... I do believe the Lakers can throw enough different types of bodies at Halliburton. I think Reddish will start the game that way. Uh, I prob- I kind of doubt we see a lot of D'Angelo Russell in this game, or at least uh, as far as impact goes, because where does what does he do defensively? You know, he, the, the Pacers are going to put him in hell. So you're going to see the big, long lineups for the Lakers where they try to force mistakes, slow slow possessions down, switch, do what they need to do. I, I believe that they can have the best game defending the Pacers that we've seen in this NBA Cup and, and probably one of the better ones all season. You know, the Jackson Frank over at Basketball Insiders, I think is where he's writing now, wrote about how the Magic defended the Pacers. And a lot of it was fighting through screens with big guard defenders, clogging the paint, you know, Whatever. I think the Lakers can can kind of match that formula. The thing that I think might also kind of help determine this one, though, Chris, is offensive rebounding, because it's something that the Lakers have done in both of these NBA Cup games that they just didn't do in, and that they haven't done in the regular season much. And the Pacers are fine in terms of defensive rebounding, but but... No, they're actually bottom four. I had that wrong. They're they're bottom four in terms of defensive rebounding. So if AD can make an impact there, I think that'll be huge. And in terms of guarding LeBron, in terms of keeping them off the offensive glass and, and keeping AD out from the paint, they have to stop giving up the switches to keep to allow Miles Turner to be out on an island. Like that is the number one thing watching the Pacers that drives me absolutely crazy is how easily in transition on cross matches and in pick and roll situations on switches that they just let Miles Turner end up defending a floor spacer a mile away from anything going on. And so I think that they need to to keep that from happening in order to defend LeBron drives, keep AD off the glass and, and all the rest. If they can do that, I feel a little better. I think Neesmith will have a big big role to play against LeBron. But on both ends, that's kind of the things that I see impacting this one. Um, who do you think steps up of those role players that we've listed off the names of so far? But which one of them do you think is going to matter the most on Saturday night on either end? I think for Indiana, it has to be Neesmith again. I mean, I think he's going to get the LeBron assignment, right? Like, he's going to be asked to be the guy that defends LeBron and has to be physical and do his damnedest to, to slow him down. And I don't like his odds. Would you start Neesmith? Would you just say, this is a playoff game, let's do it? Or does Bruce Brown get the get the shot at the beginning and then they go to Neesmith after that? Yeah, I. it's probably that, but it just Neesmith has been more effective in that role. So I kind of, and he's, I just, his impact, you felt much more than Bruce Brown. So I kind of just want to see more of him. I think he's kind of earned the spot. I think you kind of got to ride a guy in that situation. So I think it's him. How quickly does Obi Toppin get his second foul if he guards LeBron? Because I think Bruce Brown's a better guard defender. So it might actually be Toppin. I think he's going to, I think he's going to foul LeBron twice in the first two possessions. Can I, can I tell you what LeBron is doing if Obi Toppin's fucking defending him? He's, he's cooking. He is, he is, yeah. he's get, getting an ISO and he's driving in and he's doing the little shoulder LeBron chug. He's flexing and he's getting two and ones and Obi Toppin sitting his ass down on the bench. That's what's happening. If he did it to Herb Jones, I'm sorry, Obi. It's, it's you're not cooked. your night. You're cooked. I'm yeah. He did it to Herb. He's doing it to, ne- and he's going to do it to Neesmith too. That's the thing. Yeah. That's what I keep thinking about. Yeah. Like LeBron, there is not a single soul on this Pacers team that has a shot of defending LeBron if he plays like he did the other night. No, you're at the point with Indiana where, and this means that the that the Lakers have already won. I mean, not not literally the game, but they've won metaphorically. When you're like, the best LeBron defender might just be the center. Put Miles on him. Like that's where some teams end up getting, and it's similar with Giannis. And if that's the case, then you're already screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. You don't, like you're you're absolutely screwed if that's the case. Your whole defensive structure is compromised if that's the case. Yeah, like that. Then you're allowing like AD to maybe get an offensive rebounding rhythm, 
for their shooters to be in good spots, like they're kind of you're kind of screwed. One thing I will say though about the Lakers offensively, because it seems like we're both kind of leaning that they that they might win this thing. They did get enormously lucky on threes in the Pelicans game. Not just LeBron, but Torian Prince was five of eight, and you know Reeves will make his, Russell will make his, but I think the the Prince thing especially was a, an outlier and. I, I almost like it's hard to call that luck when it's LeBron because it's LeBron and he creates amazing shots for teammates. He's been doing it for two decades. But if that dissipates a little bit, I do think Indiana's shooting talent is better. So you could see a game where the Pacers make 15 threes and the Lakers make seven. And then that's a pretty difficult deficit to overcome, even if they do get some offensive rebounds and force Indiana into a little bit more. Uh, turnovers but it feels like a game where like 55 times out of 100 the Lakers probably win it does that seem right to you yeah I mean I'm I this this is there for them as good Indiana is and I think there's clear ways Indiana could win it and it would be a really cool story if they do I think there's more paths for the Lakers and it's because of LeBron it just it just is yeah the go ahead the the Lakers role guy though that I I think is my big X factor is is Reeves because I think he's going to need to defend Halliburton at times and I think his shot making is going to just all, it's obviously one of the big swings of this Lakers season but like he's kind of like if you're going to limit D'Lo and you should even though he's had some moments where he makes good shots and is making smart passes he's you're asking to give Halliburton a lot of rhythm I think their best option to figure out um the Halliburton thing is to probably just have Reeves defend him at times, or maybe it's Torian Prince at times. Like, I think you're going to have to reddish. That, that's what my X factor would be mm-hmm. on the Lakers side, because if we saw anything from, well, first of all, he's starting. So, I mean, you know, he, he's uh, been Reeves better isn't. Than I, he's been better than I thought to you, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I think he's been like a little more like useful than I would have expected. I don't know if I want to call him good, but I think reddish has no. been less of like a flop than I would have thought. Cause I just didn't think he was very good before this. He's getting out of his own way. Right, like he, he, yeah, he's in the prestige zone. Sure, yeah, he's playing role player basketball for the first time in his career, which I think is probably his destiny, and it it maybe always was. I mean, this is a guy where it's like since basically high school was the last time that it felt like he could be a star, and I'm not saying that with any sort of disrespect. Dude's going to make a lot of money in the NBA. He can be in the league for a long time, but this is what he should be playing like as a three and D player. But the reason that I say him is, one, he'll probably start the game defending Halliburton, so setting that tempo early and throughout the game will be important. But if it's anything like how they approached Booker, Reddish is going to be to throw back to another LeBron-era Pacers duel with Miami. Reddish is the guard Joel Anthony in this game. And by that I mean the dude is a walking six fouls. He is an opportunity to hammer the absolute shit out of Tyrese Halliburton and piss Tyrese Halliburton off, which is also something we have not seen anybody really do. But I bet you, with Darvin Ham as a head coach and LeBron wanting this so badly and the Lakers playing desperate, I don't think he's going to do anything dirty, although Suns fans might tell you he did a little bit on that in that Tuesday night game. He's going to be physical as hell with Tyrese Halliburton. And, and so for that, if he can make a few threes on top of it, uh, I think Reddish will be pretty important here. 100%. So let's make some picks, Brendan. I think it's okay. time for, for picks. I am going to pick the Lakers. I would have, if we had finished, I, I tried to do this the other day, and you rightly said, don't fill out the whole bracket. Tease. I was going to pick the Lakers to win the whole thing then. I think this is... Would you have this. picked the Lakers if it was the Bucks too? Does it? Would it have mattered? No, I was picking the Lakers regardless. <laughs> I was just, I'm just Dylan, our producer for YouTube. This is, this is for you, my bud. Um, this is LeBron. I mean, I'm, I'm just not picking against LeBron as simple as that is. And kind of against how I usually like to analyze things. I'm usually a little less like, well, the best guy. And I think the best player ever is on one team. I'm going to pick that one. I'm doing that here because the Pacers just don't have the ability to defend him and stay in front of him. And when, or if they put Miles Turner on him, they're changing their defensive structure. And when that happens, like even if you throw two, three bodies on him in the paint and say pass, 
They have enough shooting, I think, particularly how Torian Prince is playing of late. And if you just give guys open shots, they're probably going to stick some of them. Like, it wouldn't shock me even if D'Lo struggles defensively, but LeBron gives him, like, three, four, five open threes, and he hits three of them, and it's like, oh, that swung the game to some degree at key spots. Like, that is what the power of LeBron is, is that he can be so good and so overwhelming that it helps mask other issues you might have. That is part of the genius of what LeBron is. And I just don't think Indiana has any shot of slowing him down. I think Hal Burton's also probably going to go off and play great. I, I just think he's playing at that level right now. But the way LeBron's playing right now, I think he's just going to dominate this game. I think that's going to set everything else up for them. And I, and I like the Lakers, and I probably like them at more than three and a half. I like them to cover that money line. Okay, so one last note on the on the Pacers, to your point about defending LeBron that I didn't include. They foul more than anybody in the league by a mile. The only teams in the vicinity of them in terms of fouling as a defense are Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio. Two of those teams are awful. One of them is also very young. So the Pacers are going to get into foul trouble. They are not going to be disciplined enough to contest. They also aren't going to get calls. Like you're telling me Aaron Neesmith's going to get calls against LeBron James? Absolutely not. So He wasn't getting calls against the Bucks. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think you're right. Um, I'll pick the Lakers as well. The last question that I have for you, though, is Mm-hmm. Does it go over or under? You said it was 240? Yeah, 240 and a half. Yeah, what do you think? I think it could go over. It's tight. I think it's tight. I would lean it's a, a good little line. bit under. I would lean it. They know what they're doing over there in in Las Vegas. I mean, the Lakers scored 133 against the Pelicans in a game that was over for this whole second half, basically, and they didn't even have really a reason to do anything. They still scored 43 in the third quarter, so they can put up points if they do get hot again and get some offensive rebounds. Yeah, the offensive rebounding part of this, I think, I can't wait to look at what the, the numbers are for that. Just like how like bonkers they could be in the Lakers' favor. Um, would it shock you if this is like a sneaky like big AD game in some way, if he has like 28 and 15? Wouldn't shock me if that happens. No, I mean, the Pacers have no size. So you run an AD Jaylen's, pick and roll with LeBron, what happens? J- they Jaylen's switch it and then AD is being guarded by... Obi Toppin or something, Bruce Brown, T.J. McConnell, T.J. McConnell, sure. McConnell sliding into the dunker, sliding into the dunker spot. T.J. McConnell, by the way, showing up, giving them good minutes. It's funny that like we two months ago, Brandon could have looked at the Pacers and thought, oh, they're going to trade McConnell and Heald. and like I don't know if I want them to trade either of those guys. <clears throat> they should still trade McConnell because I think they can get something good for it. Um, we had a Zion defense conversation. There's a Buddy Heald defensive conversation for another day. Not quite the same stature as a former number one no, overall pick, no, but not at all. Boy, is it brutal. Yeah, he he uh he might be if if the Lakers are game planning and they're saying okay who do we want to force switches with so LeBron can bulldoze them, Buddy Hield's pretty high up on that target list. He's number one, and there is no number two. I think it, <laughs> Buddy Aaron Neesmith is six. Halliburton's Halliburton's going to get put into the blender a little bit, I think, in this game, and it's sure, not going to be fun. Sure. For, it's not going to be fun no. for him. He's going to get strength warm. is not what uh, Tyrese Halliburton is necessarily built around as far as his uh, play style. Aaron Neesmith no. is only listed as one inch taller than Buddy Heald, and I swear it's six inches. Buddy Heald is the like the type of player who looks substantially shorter than he is because he is so groundbound at all times. Uh, it's it's brutal, but he's had a, he's had a fun season. No, they should not trade Buddy. I don't think, but um, I think they could trade McConnell. Either way, um, they've both been productive. I think this game can be close, but I probably would agree that the Lakers cover. Yeah, can I give you one Halliburton last note to just kind of end on the positive? I was just flipping through Mark Stein's newsletter to see if there was any. Uh, tidbits, um, but he had this note about Halliburton from Basketball Reference. Brendan, I'm gonna, it's a trivia question. I'm going to ask this as a trivia question. Halliburton this season has already had three games of at least 25 points and 15 assists without a single turnover. So 25 and 15, no turnovers. He's done that this season. Only four other active players have ever done that. I'm not going to ask you to name all four. Can you give me two of the four? And I'll tell you the other ones if you don't get them. Chris Paul. Okay, got one. Probably LeBron. Yep. Okay, so let's see if you can get the other two. Active players. Active players. Draymond? No. Hmm. You're you're missing like the easiest one. The second the one. Give I it to me. Just LeBron. give them to me. Russell Nicole, Westbrook. Nicole Jokic. Okay, Jokic. Da 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 da. Yeah. And Big Jim Harden. Yeah. Harden was going to be next after Westbrook, but okay. 
that's a good list. That's good company. You mentioned the thing at the beginning of the historical guys um, of total games with 15 assists and zero turnovers. It's like John Stockton, Steve Nash, yep. Chris Paul, and Muggsy Bogues. It's like, yeah. okay, he's already on he's that good. list. He's been playing yeah. in the NBA for like four years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Incredible. He's he's incredible. This I think them losing Saturday does not take away from what they've done here, no. to be clear. No, no, no. If anything, it helps it because they got these big games and they showed themselves, hey, look what happens when we play some defense. Can't wait for this. I'm so excited. Should be fun. How how would you rate the turn in-season tournament so far, Brandon? Scale 1 to 10. I'm at like an 8.5. We got to do our post-mortem next week, but I, I'll give it a 10. I mean, I think it's been awesome. I, I, I have no notes. I mean, we have some notes, but nothing that I hated about it. Just stuff that could be even better. Fix the courts, you nerds. All right, let's end there. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. This has been our reaction to NBA Cup semifinals. Our preview of the finals will be back Sunday. I'm gonna we're gonna get the pod the, the vid the audio at least will be a late Sunday evening to recap Saturday's game, to talk about the WNBA draft lottery, aka the day where we find out if Caitlin Clark is maybe gonna stay in college for another year or not. So we'll talk nah, to you guys. She's coming then. to Phoenix. Just watching, like, I, I Brennan, got to tell you, would love that for you. With, if that happens, that, with, Sunday's pod is going to be unhinged <laughs> if they that, win the lottery. I, I'm preparing you now. Would that make up for the for the despair you feel, I think, like once a week about Jalen Smith going two picks ahead of Tyrese Halliburton? It would come close. Okay. Getting to root for Caitlin Clark for the next 15 years sounds like a thrill, so I'm ready. Yeah, I would I would personally love that for you. Talk to y'all Sunday. We'll see if Brendan is delirious with joy or not. Enjoy your weekend.